our beer of the week this week is Cold Snap. It's a white ale by Sam Adams. I know we're all dreaming of a white Christmas. Christmas is almost here. And speaking of a cold snap, it was very, very cold this morning. Kind of messed with my car a little bit, but we're good now. We're good here and we're ready to get this pod done. Yeah, brisk start. You know, the uh, winter season is about the the start here in North Carolina. We'll probably get that uh, one snow in February coming up in a couple months. Uh, but talking about what we want for Christmas, man, I, I just want a victory at this point for, <laughs> for Panther Nation, for this franchise, for for Bryce as a rookie that just get something to build on for next year. And it just, it doesn't, doesn't happen week in and week out. It's, it's the same narrative. We, we hang in it for about three quarters. And then by the fourth quarter, our defense is gassed. Our offense has no answers. And then we get blown out. Like it, it went from a 14, six, one possession game to 28 to six really quickly. And it's just those kind of routes. It just leaves something to be desired. And I, like I tune out, I, I have tuned out the last couple of weeks because it just, it's so bad. Yeah, I feel like, uh, like you're saying, it's the same thing every week. And it's even the same thing when we talk about the game review. It's like Bryce missed probably two or three guys on this one. He had a pretty bad miss to Mingo. And what I would say was Mingo's first real, like, he got two or three yards of separation on a deeper route this year. And Bryce just overthrew him. He had the one in Tampa Bay. He had the one uh, in Tampa oh, Bay yeah. down the sideline. But, yeah, no, for the yeah, most yeah, part, yeah. yeah, he has not been nearly as wide open I, as he was. Yeah. Yeah, they just aren't connecting, uh, and that's really disheartening because they were both top 40 rookies. You'd hope that they would build a rapport, but they haven't yet. And then more drops from receivers. Uh, I know Stephon Sullivan had the, the drop over the middle on his little uh, slant route there. Would have been a first. Thielen had a drop. Uh, Raheem Blackshear just fell over on a fourth <laughs> and one, and Bryce still put it like on his rib cage, like with him falling, and yeah. like, he just wasn't in the right spot to catch it there. And then the main guy, DJ Chark, man, I know he had words after uh, the Titans game saying that Bryce's check to a screenplay was wrong. I don't know if you can talk about anything anymore, Chark, with the way you're playing. Like all these drops are horrible. He had another face mask play. Uh, not a face mask penalty, mind you, where Bryce put it on his face mask and Shark just couldn't put his hands up because I don't know what he was doing. And then the fourth down, uh, it wasn't quite in the end zone like uh, another famous number 17, but uh, in the Saints dome, by the way. But it was a fourth down play, uh, probably 20 to 25 yards. Bryce puts it on the money. It wasn't even broken up or anything. He just let it fall through his arms. Yeah, and it was, it was a decent back shoulder yeah, kind of look down, yeah. the, down the sideline. And it, it just reminded me of the Funches play because it was around that same spot. Uh, f- not it wasn't a four. Funches down was like a hail mary look. There were well, like two or so defenders still, like, also looking like there, a lot. A lot more was going on with that play. It was one he should have had easily, and he just didn't have it. And that was just the crux of the whole day. It was drops like that, Bryce missing, and then another like just very very bad O line performance. This was one of the worst O line performances I think in terms of players like Icky or uh, the right guard we just signed, Justin McCray, to start there. Like, they were getting beaten, like, before one second had come off the clock. And that's just not uh, doable at the NFL level. But I, I will say the defense played pretty well. J.C. Horn had a really, really nice breakup uh, on Chris Olave on a third down bomb where he just re- – he he was trailing and he just snuck his uh, left hand in there and broke it up. Hey. They showed that play on red zone. I thought it was a touchdown. I legitimately yeah. thought it was a touchdown. And then just to see him pop, like that was Josh Norman-esque. They just mm-hmm. be able to just reach out in the last second, like, nope, like that's, and that's why we drafted him. He is, he is that good when he's healthy. He's just not healthy. Right. And uh, it, it's nice to see him making plays again. Derek Brown had an excellent day. I think he had 10 tackles, a tackle for loss. And he had the uh, the batted pass where he actually caught his own batted pass and intercepted Derek Carr. So that was super nice. We had Horde making plays, Brown making plays. Brian Burns made a nice uh, game check. That's about it. He didn't make a single play. And that's kind of been what he's been doing the last couple weeks. I, he may just be checked out at this point because he doesn't have a long-term deal here or what, but he's not playing to the level he should be at. And uh, that might that may factor into his future contract negotiations down the line. But I think, uh, and as we'll talk about for the keys of the game next week, we need all three of those guys to play to their star level. And two of them did this past week, but uh, Burns didn't. And that's not the reason we lost, but that's a big part of why, like we need all three of those guys to lock in and keep our defense whole along with guys like uh, Luvu and Dante Jackson, who have also been playing well. 
Yeah, that was when we were doing a a preseason preview of this team and this defense was healthy. It was so many complimentary pieces to the stars on the defense. And it was just Mm -hmm. they they got hurt right out of the gate. Uh, And then you have all the issues you have on the offensive side. And it just it it fell apart like a, a house of cards. And part of that was and and this has been an ailment of this offense for pretty much this entire year we'll get in these uh first and goal on the one kind of situations or one or two yard situations where we just got to pick up a couple and and we run out of shotgun and and sure enough coming right out of the gate in halftime miles sanders has a really nice run gets us down to the one and then we immediately do a, a run out of shotgun and then from there was all downhill we end up kicking a field goal 14 to 6 the the rest of the game is is what it is and what i was interesting i went back in every single game since the bye week outside of one week and that was the chicago game on thursday night we have scored points on our opening drive in the first half it was three points against houston a touchdown against indy a touchdown against dallas a touchdown against tennessee a touchdown against tampa bay and a field goal against new orleans if if you lost track at how many points that was that's 34 points and during that stretch of games since the bye week we have scored 85 points so 40 percent of our points have been scored on the opening drive of the second half like that's just that's embarrassing to have a, no game plan coming into the game to be able to execute and drive and score points there uh, to have a two minute drill where you, you can score points and and a tight pinch and it's just it's it's frustrating this is this is a abysmal offense to watch and the only life we get is right out of the gate and after halftime and it's just it, Thomas Brown is is at at fault and his wife came out and tweeted like uh well somebody has to call play so we're here like no dude like if you're you're a nfl coach you should be coaching for like your next job and like this is where thomas brown he's got to step it up a level and and get these guys to play well down the stretch or else it's just this is going to be a cleaning house like i i this is going to be worse than last year like this is down to the bare bones everybody's gone i actually think that this was thomas brown's best game calling plays aside from the the not like running for out of pistol or out of uh, under center and stuff on goal line plays like we should that's just been plaguing us all year but like i thought a lot of the stuff he called worked but it was the receivers dropping it or the o-line caving and bryce having to scramble for it Bry- bryce has a really nice scramble plays he this did. game uh Probably his best scrambling performance, uh, maybe since the Texas game where he scrambled for the game-winning drive to set up the field goal. But um, yeah, I, I just thought that a lot of the stuff it was execution-based. And then when when we have the opportunity to execute, like say the big Miles Sanders run, probably his best play as a Panther, a nice 48-yard run, got down to maybe the one or the two. I think it was like the one and a half-yard line. Just run it under center, you know, like. Yep. That this isn't even like a get cute kind of thing. This is every team in the NFL on that first down is gonna run it from under center. Put in uh like Tremble as a fullback or something, or put in Derek Brown as a fullback, you know, like all these other teams like to use their big defensive linemen to clear space. I haven't seen us do it once this year. I haven't seen us do it since I think back when we had Don Terry Poe in twenty eighteen. I think we tried it. <laughs> yeah. But I think, ever I since think we then, did it one time then, yeah. Yeah, we have we haven't done that, and I feel like that's just uh, that's an opportunity where you have an edge you can play, and you just choose not to, and that's been the crux of the Panthers' entire season. It is, and it's it's not playing to our strengths. Like, why are we in eleven personnel when we kept five tight ends on the roster going into the season? Like, had had we started out that Hurst and Tremble were on the field for the majority of snaps, and we were able to kind of blend Mingo and Marshall in, especially with DJ Shark out, like maybe we win a couple games at the beginning of the year that were were tight down the stretch and it's just you, you never know with some of that stuff and it, it's going back to the offensive production and i'm not saying this is all on bryce this is more just like when you watch as a fan and you you want to see yards you want to see points you want to see your offense do something bryce young's only thrown over 200 yards four times this year Cam in his rookie year, he did it 12 times. And I understand Cam had a better supporting cast, different circumstances. But Stroud in Houston, he's done it 10 times this year. And and heck, Will Levis in Tennessee, who's played half the year, he's done it four times. 
So it's just, it's one of those things. And again, this isn't all going back on Bryce Young. It's just one of those things. It's very frustrating to watch this offense when you can't get production through the air. Uh, We haven't had a receiver, whether that be a wide receiver, tight end, running back, go over 80 yards receiving since the bye week. Hubbard was our first 100-yard rusher on the year, and that was two weeks ago against Tampa Bay. Like, it's just, like, what are we doing? We we can't do anything right. Yeah, that's just the point to make. It's like, when there's stuff there, just one end doesn't hold up. Bryce will miss. The receiver drops it. The O-line crumbles. We're never all on the same page at once. And it's hard to get all 11 of our guys to execute. And this is the result. Yeah, just really paltry uh, passing yards numbers and yardage and points numbers in general. But, you know, we have another week. Hopefully we can get it right. But uh, I'm <laughs> much, much less optimistic than I was earlier in the season where we opened against the Falcons and Saints. And I was like, oh, we can get a, a 2-0 lead to the division. This will be huge. And nope, the Panthers have uh, ruined my enthusiasm at this point. Yeah, no, it, it was – we went from the rule era and we didn't th- didn't think going into the year it could get any worse. And it, it got a, a lot worse really fast. Um, moving into – because this is just – this is a situation where we're obviously going to talk about it each week, but I, at this point, it's it is what it is. We're going to ride out, maybe win one game, if that, the rest of the way. Um, but outside of that, yeah, it's it's pack up and move on to next year. Uh, around the NFL, we're going to talk about the Rams and Ravens game. Uh, that was really tight throughout the entire game. McVay was in his bag. I think they scored on either four out of five or four out of six of their. Uh, dr- drives in the first half and it was a 20 to 20 game going in the half and it was exciting it was it was something that was thrilling uh from start to finish yeah this was a really fun one both this game and the jags browns game if you were watching on a red zone both of them bled into the four o'clock window even past some of the uh first quarters for those games so they were really long games and super fun to watch but this game in particular was super fun because it went to overtime there were a lot of uh crucial plays on both sides i know uh you have two rookie receivers highlighted here, and I think both of them had excellent games. Uh, Puka Nakua for the Rams and Zay Flowers had the octopus at the end of the game for the Ravens to send them to overtime. Uh, they performed super well alongside all the other weapons. I thought guys like Odell Beckham and uh, Rashad Bateman and even Isaiah Likely on that one long play were playing super well for the uh, not the Rams, the Ravens there in this game, despite uh, Lamar not having the cleanest game. But, uh, yeah, I thought this was just a super fun game to watch. It was. The win probability, if you look at NFL Fast Stars model, crossed the 50% threshold uh, 12 times this game. So it was just back and forth, back and forth. Um, One thing to note, and this has been an issue with the Baltimore Ravens all year, especially on the offensive side, is that Lamar leads the league in negative play rate. Like he is, he's constantly making bad plays, turning the ball over. Uh, He had an interception. I'll I'll say the safety wasn't necessarily on him. It was Tyler Linderbaum, which is the bad snap. Um, But it's, it's those kind of miscues that are going to hold this team back from a Super Bowl run because they have all the pieces. They, they have great coaching. Uh, they have the playmakers at the skill positions. And it's, it's a matter of just putting it all together down the stretch. Everybody is healthy, so that is a plus over the past couple years. Um, but this this was a good game. Uh, the, the Rams gave them their best shot, and this was a team that we thought was bottom five in terms of talent, and they've made it work. They're, they're just as well a coach team as the Ravens are, and I think that was just probably the, the part that wasn't talked about enough was just kind of this mashup between Harbaugh and McVay. Yeah, to me – uh, up there with Shanahan and Mike McDaniel. McVay is one of the best play caller head coaches in the league, one of the best uh, head coaches in general. And he really showed it this game because this is a game that I didn't think the Rams had any business being in. And they ended up sending it to overtime and needed a, a punt ret- It wasn't even like an offensive drive touchdown for the Ravens in overtime or a defensive score. Tylen Wallace just returned a punt for a touchdown, which uh, almost led me to a victory in fantasy this week, but ended up losing. But Regardless, this is just a really fun game to watch. Close throughout the game, like you said, what, 12 lead changes? Or, excuse me, 12, uh, like, win probability lead changes. Uh, And, yeah, just super fun to watch. Couldn't get enough of this one, really. 
Yeah, and it was one of the first games we've seen, and Baltimore has three losses on the year. That's uh, in their ten and three, but those losses they were in firm control over for most of the game. They weren't in really control of this game. This was a back and forth contest, and they were able to pull it out. Like that, that kind of slugfest was something we've talked about in previous weeks. Can they win these kind of grudge matches where it's just down in the trenches, down in and down out? Uh, can can you make a play? And sure enough. Uh, Lamar down, I think it was like five points. It was like 28 to 23. Uh, they, they, they get the Zay Flowers touchdown and then they get the two point conversion. They make it a three point game. And then Stafford drives down. He, uh, he, he has that pretty much just, I, I, I want to say a prayer. He threw up the Cooper cup. It wasn't the best ball, but Cooper cup makes a crazy catch on it. Uh, with Marlon Humphrey well behind him because he had his ankles mm-hmm. broken, actually not ankles broken, just got ran right by. Um, and, and that sent it the overtime. Like, again, it was just one of those games where it was back and forth, back and forth. And, um, I think the Ravens can really build off of this because they play the 49ers here in a couple of weeks. And I, they, they're, they're in contention for that first seed with the Miami loss on Monday night. So this is something to kind of keep track of this. This would lend itself to the Lamar Jackson MVP argument that you made in the preseason. So all in all, like you said, a great game. And uh, it was one of the better one o'clock games that we had this past week. Yeah, absolutely. The one o'clock window, it, it wasn't too, too bad, but uh, I wasn't a huge fan outside of this game, the uh, the Jags-Browns game, which was a horrible game, but it was fun at the end. And then uh, the other NFC South game was pretty close to the, uh, the Falcons and Buccaneers. But overall, I think this was the best one and glad we got to talk about it. Yeah, and with that, we're going to move in the coach talk. Uh, we want to talk about two coaches we're kind of down on right now. Um, I, I don't know if hot seat's really the term. It's more just uh, after the past two weeks, where are these franchises going? Are they going to be able to pivot from this? And the first guy, and this is a guy that you wrote down, is is Mike Tomlin. He's on a two-game skid. He loses at home to Arizona and then New England within a five-day span. And, and those are two of, you, you'd probably argue, two of the, the bottom five teams in the league, and you lose at home to them when you're trying to make a push for the playoffs. That doesn't send a lot of hope uh, to your fans. Uh, it doesn't inspire a lot of hope for your team. Um, what, what do you think Mike Tomlin has to do to kind of turn this around down the stretch? Well, yeah, I, I want to preface it by saying I don't think he's on the hot seat, kind of like what you were saying. It's just you lose to probably two of the – three or four worst teams obviously the Panthers are the worst and then you throw the Giants in there too but um yeah at home uh within five days as well because they played on Thursday this past week with the Patriots and you allow now the Cardinals offense isn't like the worst but they have Kyler Murray who's coming off injury they don't have all the weapons in the world you allow them to beat you and then you allow Bailey Zappi and I'm not a big fan of Bailey Zappi you allow him to score uh, him and the Patriots rather to score 21 points on you at home on Thursday. Now yeah, I, I know you're playing touchdowns. Give him, give him some prop. I'm, I'm messing with I you. Mean, he, he did have an interception as well. He is, he's good for one interception a game, but uh, no, it's like, and I know you had Mitch Trubisky and stuff too, and they probably could have won the game at the end of the game. Had Trubisky not uh, sent a football to the moon on fourth and one, but uh, like the, these are losses. Like you're saying, when they're in playoff contention, when they're in a division, that's as tough as the AFC North who I'm looking at the standings right now. It's still pretty easily the best division in the AFC. At least if you're in a division like that in contention for the playoffs, these are must win easy home games for you and they just come up short in both of them and looking at the standings now i believe they are out of the playoff picture right now they're either the they're either out or the seventh seed like with the colts and the uh the bills because they're not winning the division currently i think the and colts the browns are ahead of them right now by maybe wrong yeah. and they actually play at indy this week that's what's actually right. very interesting about the the pittsburgh matchup is they're kind of vying for that seventh seed right now Right, and uh, we talked about early in the season when they were, what was it, six and two or something like that, when we're like, oh, the Steelers are, they're excellent, but look at their point differential, look at all the differential, they're like negative 200 in this, they've been outgained by yardage in every game, that kind of stuff. It seems like that kind of stuff is tr- like catching up to them, uh, having a bit of negative regression, or I, I guess positive regression to that point, and I wonder if uh, Mike Tomlin and the Steelers are going to be able to sustain that because we've known 
Tomlin's teams as being teams that are at 500 or above throughout his entire career. And like before the season, there was even talk of uh, maybe the Steelers want to move on from Tomlin and stuff like that. But I, I just wonder if they're going to be able to keep up with the rest of that division, given these two pretty bad losses. Yeah, and I wonder because Trubisky uh, led led the Steelers in passing in both the Cardinals and the Patriots games because Pickett went out during that Arizona game. Is that if if that's really the difference? And I'm not saying Kenny Pickett's a, a difference maker, but he's probably better than Trubisky. He has more rapport with guys like George Pickens, and I want to say Deontay Johnson in this offense. And you're coming up against a tough slate, like you said. Like those were two gimmies that you need to have. Like there's a difference between being seven and six right now and nine and three uh, nine and yeah no nine and four nine and four bad. yeah um and so they they're, they're going to be at indy this week then they're going to host cincy and then they're on the road the last two games of the season in seattle and then in baltimore so if baltimore doesn't have the number one seed wrapped up by week 18 you can't pencil that in as a dub so it's like you you almost got to win three out of the next four games and i, I don't know if i can can do that if if i'm, I'm talking about the steelers honestly like i maybe two games I, I don't see him going three and one. Yeah, and those uh, those late season Baltimore games are real wars with them in uh, Pittsburgh. So, like, even if uh, they have the one seed locked up, Baltimore, that is, Tyler Huntley can go in there and give them some really good football. So, I, yep. I like – even if uh, they're not playing their starters, I don't know if that's a win. So like, and Mike McDonald, uh, yeah, he's he's a phenomenal defensive coordinator. So he's going to have those backups playing hard. And it's Mitchell Trubisky. Like it's one of those things. Like they're going to probably get after him and and boost their resumes. Um, so it's it's I, I I respect you putting Mike Tomlin's name on here. He has to do something about the offense in the offseason. I know about midseason, a lot of people were linking Kirk Cousins with the Steelers organization. If they bring in a new play caller and they're able to get like a veteran in there, bolster their offensive line throughout the draft, they have receivers on the outside to where they could make it work and 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 have like a two-year window if we want to talk about that. I mean, hell, look at uh look what a guy we're gonna talk about soon in best performances is doing uh with the Browns. Like they could have brought in a uh, a Joe Flacco maybe and uh, been a bit better off, but uh, no, nah, I'm just kidding. But the the next coach we want to talk about, who's been on a bit of a two week downward spiral, uh, he captains the Philadelphia Eagles defense. Which, when you think of the Eagles defense, you think of it as a strong unit because last year they're a good unit. Their D line is pretty dominant. Uh, they flexed their D line even this week with a uh, Jalen Carter. I was at a fumble six where he was moving down the field, have a bunch of draft capital invested in that defensive line, a high first round high end draft capital. But the defense actually has given up a ton of points this year. And that's, uh, that's Sean Desai, the Eagles defensive coordinator. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's fair to bring them up. We, we talked about before the Eagles played this kind of like gauntlet of a five game skid where they hosted Dallas. They were on the road to KC. They were home against Buffalo. They were home against San Francisco. And then they were on the road to Dallas. And, and we were honestly thinking they'd be two and three, three and two coming out of it. And they started three and oh, uh, won a couple games that they probably should have been. And then they got they got beat by two of the better teams in the league. And there's definitely stuff to be concerned about, but it's it's important to remember that they lost Kazir White and TJ Edwards in the offseason. And they also lost their linebackers coach Nick Rawless when Jonathan Gannon left to Arizona. So the linebacking core was weak as is. And then you, you have your stud linebacker uh, out of Georgia, uh, Nicobe Dean. He's out. I think he's on IR for the rest of the year. So you got these kind of just backup dudes in your linebacking core, and they've just been absolutely shredded. And it's one of those things that Sean Desai needs to take a page out of Brian Flores' book where it's like he doesn't have a lot of talent on that defense, but they play together, they play succinctly, and it's one of those things where you either bring the house, you get after the quarterback, or you're dropping eight guys. And if you have so much talent on the defensive line like the Eagles do, you got to trust three guys getting after the quarterback and drop more guys in the coverage. We see it with Raheem Morris in L.A. The, the priority of we are not going to give you an explosive play. You can dink and dunk all day, but we will rally and tackle, and you, you will not beat us deep. And it's just one of those concepts that I think Desai needs to incorporate, especially down the stretch if they want to be competitive. Uh, I couldn't agree more there. I think what Flores is doing in Minnesota should be talked about more because he has that defense playing, not lights out, but much uh, much better than the, some of their parts. 
or their parts there they are the some of the vast parts. improvement the last year and they lost talent like this right. is, that this entire is the team D-line, that doesn't yeah. have dalvin tomlinson they they traded uh who was their one edge rusher? Was, yeah i was about to say daniel hunter but i was like he's still there he's still wrecking havoc. he requested he's, a trade in the offseason yeah um, yeah. but he, he's still with the team and I, I'm sure he loves playing for, uh, Brian Flores and, and the aggressive style that he plays with. He's had a great year. I think he's top 10 in sacks, uh, in the NFL. So it's one of those things that I think that's, that's a, uh, mutual symbiotic relationship between the two. Um, yeah, and, uh, the, no, no, the Eagles have much more talent on that D line and they've scored or they've allowed, excuse me, a hundred, 321 points this season. Uh, do you want to guess where that ranks in the league? I would assume that's got to be around 20th. They have allowed the fifth most points this season, the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, and, so flip. So that would, okay. Yeah, I got yeah. You. So, got yeah, be 12th uh, in your regard. But, yeah, fifth most points. Uh, only teams that have allowed more, the Commanders, the Cardinals, the Panthers, and there was an AFC team, the Colts. But uh-huh. – they're still they're ten and three to this point, so they aren't like horrible or anything. It's just they they've been like showing cracks all year with stuff like uh, and we were talking about this before recording stuff like the Vikings game where Kirk Cousins was on fire, scored twenty eight, but they won that one. Both Commanders games, the Commanders scored thirty one and the Eagles outscored them and won. But games like the Jets game where they allowed the Jets to score twenty, I think that was still Zach Wilson at the time. The yeah. Patriots scored twenty on uh, opening day. It's stuff like that that's culminated where we had this well, five-game gauntlet. Well, yeah, rank, but... Rank 19th. Like, this isn't a, a good coaching staff. And like you said, there are holes on this roster. Right, and we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. I think actually when uh, we had Dylan Jackson on, we talked about the Eagles' upcoming gauntlet per se, where it was Cowboys, Chiefs, Bills, Niners, Cowboys again. And the Eagles won three of those first games. Um they beat the Cowboys by five, 23-28. They beat the Chiefs. They came from behind and beat them. Uh, the Chiefs only scored 17, and we've talked about the Chiefs' offensive struggles. And then the Bills scored 34 uh, and lost in overtime. That was the the Hurts uh, yeah. heroics in overtime. And then we come to the 49ers and Cowboys again, where the 49ers score 42 on them in at the link in Philly, and then the Cowboys score 33 uh, at home at AT&T Stadium. And uh, it's not Dallas. It's uh, the town just right next to Dallas. So uh, like Arlington, it, right? Yeah. Arlington. Yeah, you're right. So it seems like uh, like this the crack, like the dam's finally breaking. I think on that defense, and points are starting to pile up. And while they don't have the hardest schedule ever for the, like throughout the rest of the season, they are going to Seattle next week. And I kind of like the the Seahawks offense. The Seahawks offense wasn't too too bad, even with Drew Locke this past week. Um, and then they have the Giants twice and the Cardinals. But if they want to kind of regain that number one standing in their in their own division and in the NFC as a whole, I think the defense does need to tighten up. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things. It's not so much about how the season ends. It's a matter of, okay, even if you get the number one seed, if San Francisco or Dallas comes to the link, are you able to stop them and any which way? Because you only need a few stops in the game and you, you need your offense to, the, the go nuclear. But again, the Cowboys and 49ers have solid defenses. So that's not something you can always count on in those matchups. And that's something that they're just going to have to go back to the, the drawing board and figure out what works and what doesn't. Right. Yeah, th- that was my main point. Yeah, like I don't think uh, either coach that we talked about should be on the hot seat. But like you're saying, when you see when you see them in the playoffs, like even if uh... – even if they don't have the one seed, are they going to go to Santa Clara and uh, stop the 49ers? Nobody really has so far, except except for uh, Brian Flores. And then the Cowboys, uh, they played a close game that first time, within five points, but uh, the Cowboys blew them out this past time. So I don't know. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely going to be interesting because, like you said, I think they're going to tighten up during this next four-game stretch. They don't play the gauntlet that they have. Uh, they're going to look better before the playoffs, and you just hope that whatever they do to clean some stuff up, it, it works because if it doesn't, it's it's going to be you, you get to the divisional round, you get to the conference championship, and then you're done. Um, and that's just not something you want to see as, as a team that's trying to go back to the Super Bowl, that's trying to win the ring. Um, and, and we'll see how that plays out. I, I, I think they're a top five team still in the NFL or borderline to it. Um, they're, they're for sure top 10. Uh, and it's just one of those things. Can they put it together and, and make a run? 
Absolutely. Uh, and to shift more towards a, a positive light, we got to do our best performances. And you had a pretty good theme this week for our best performances. Usually we do like wide receivers or quarterbacks or edge rushers. But you chose backup quarterbacks this week. And I thought that was interesting because the first guy we have is Jake Browning, who led his team to a victory at home over the Indianapolis Colts. And both of these teams are kind of vying for maybe that wild card spot, that six or seven spot. And Browning really, uh, he did what he needed to do. Granted, there were a lot of yak yards, like with uh, Chase Brown, screen. the backup running back, and uh, Joe Mixon. Uh, yeah, a lot of screens. But uh, they had some nice downfield stuff, like the one, uh, it's like 45, 46 yards to T. Higgins was nice, uh, where, he, where he had to adjust. There was a lot of receivers having to adjust for the ball in the air this week. But he played a nice game. Only one interception, so not too bad there. Yeah, no, uh, he he was solid. He was going up against another backup in Gardner Minshew, who's been serviceable this year. Um, but to kind of keep with the pace of this list, all of the guys that we have on here also won the game. So their stats aren't necessarily mind-blowing. Jake Browning only threw for 275 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, the next guy on here is probably the most impressive from kind of those just like – raw stats and that's Joe Flacco he had 311 yards three touchdowns he did have an interception but he's honestly been arguably the best Cleveland Browns quarterback this year if we're talking about 2023 guys who have started a game whether it's be Deshaun Watson whether it be PJ Walker whether it be uh Dorian Thompson Robinson or DTR as some people know him I Flacco's been been the best out of them and whatever him and Kevin Stefanski are doing in terms of being on the same page if they can keep that rolling this defense is good enough to carry them in the playoffs and this is a team that I don't think anybody wants to play uh in the playoffs if we're, we're being honest like the, the their defensive line um their their wide receivers like they aren't necessarily elite but I mean you got Amari Cooper you got Elijah Moore you got David Njoku you had David Bell with a fourth down touchdown this yeah. past game it's just it's Dave, a lot David of Joku this game man he went absolutely insane mode like two touchdowns the one crazy catch but yeah like you're saying Flacco's been incredible this is a guy that uh I believe he's 38 years old was wasn't playing at all this year and came off the couch and he got to work and you said uh what are they what is Stefanski and Flacco doing that's clicking he's throwing downfield I saw a tweet uh after his first game so prior to the game we're talking about where it was he had the highest or not yeah the highest or furthest depth of target of any Browns QB in the last five years he's thrown it downfield to those guys to Amari Cooper to Elijah Moore to Cedric Tillman their rookie and he's connecting with them and that's what's working for him now granted they didn't beat the Rams in um Flacco's first game but they beat a Jags team which put up some points at the end of the game now Trevor Lawrence was injured and didn't have the greatest game but uh they, they I want to know what he's that game on. off. I, I want to know oh. what he's on. I, I saw two or three scrambles from him where I said, ain't no way. Like Patrick Mahomes had an ankle sprain and you could tell he had a sprain. But I, again, I don't know what he's on. I know Lawrence said the day after that he felt amazing. And that was probably the narcotic speaking, not him. But again, it's one of those things that you just wonder, like, is it actually a concern his ankle or is he just that pump full of drugs that it doesn't matter? Yeah, no, he, he wasn't feeling uh, his ankle at any point before, during, or after that game. He was on Morphine 2 or something like that. But uh, the, the next guy on our list, uh, he was a starter and then became a backup. Now he's a starter again, but he did spend time as a backup this season, so he qualifies. There was some drama. There was some drama yeah. leading yeah. up to this game. Uh, you had Aaron Rodgers talking about this on oh, Pat McAfee's show, and – it was weird. It's just everything about this is kind of weird. Like, I understand Zach Wilson's concern. Like, hey, you bench me. Now you're starting me. Like, make a decision. Like, that's fair from, like, a player. But it's like, if you didn't want to be benched, then play better. And that's exactly what he did. He came out. He proved the haters wrong. Uh, had a solid game. 301 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, like, I, again, it's it's the Texans. They aren't, like, the best defense in the world. But it was a solid win at home. No, he. I think he had a great game. Uh, I and it was raining too, and it was the MetLife turf, so we can't take anything away from him there because that's probably the worst conditions you can have in a football field. But uh, yeah, extremely efficient through the air, twenty-seven to thirty-six, like you said, three hundred yards, two touchdowns, and no real mistakes. That was the uh, the key one for me. This was a fun game to watch because at halftime it was zero-zero, and we were like, oh. 
this, this game's horrible, right? Like, are, is it gonna is it gonna end three to zero or something crazy like that? But, yeah, uh, I, I don't know what game ever ended in that that score, but yeah, no, Zach yeah. Wilson, like you said, he he came out in the second half. They had answers on offense, and they got the ball to their playmakers. I mean, Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, like those guys were making plays, and I think it was an out route we were watching. And you're like, oh, what a dart! And you're right, like yeah. putting putting an outside a, a route in terms of on the money uh in progression like that's the kind of stuff you want to see from a quarterback because that's that's what's going to allow you to turn the franchise over to him in a couple of years when Rodgers does retire and, and here was the kicker uh I saw it after the game and he had said something uh I guess during his post-game interview about somebody asked him about playing loose and you, you seem a lot more confident he said what are they going to do bench me again and he's exactly right like he had been at rock bottom with uh like them having to trade for Rodgers and everything, benching him for, uh, I already forget the, uh, Tim, the Boyle. Name, the, Tim Boyle, who, uh, is one of the worst QBs like ever statistically. He was Rodgers boy. They, would you, would you yeah. believe it? That half that roster is because of Rodgers, like Mr. Mr. Hey. GM. We talk about LeBron hey. being a general manager. Aaron Rodgers is in the same discussion. Randall Cobb had a touchdown this week. That's <laughs> No, but uh, he's exactly right. What are they going to do? Bench me again? And that, I guess that gave him the confidence he needed. And he went out and I don't want to say like dominated because they didn't have like 500 yards, five touchdowns or anything. But he outperformed most people that we see play on MetLife turf, especially in the rain. Yeah. No, I mean, he outperformed Mahomes uh, early in primetime. And that was the thing. Uh, he, he shows out in these big time games and then he kind of dissipated for a little bit. And having more games like this is going to the boost his confidence, which is a huge part of playing the quarterback position. And it's also going to give him experience to become the starter because just like we're seeing with Jordan Love, who's been in the year several years, he'll have up and down games in this first year as a starter. And he's just working out those kinks, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. And and that's something you can build upon. And and that's 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 hopeful for a guy that was the the number two overall pick and looked to be a bust. If if he can have kind of like that Alex Smith trajectory where it was rough coming out of the gate, but he becomes a viable starter, I think that's a great place for him to land, especially with I, I'm I'm not gonna say he has the best arm in the world, but he has the ability to drop a couple like moon balls. And and that's that's critical sometimes when you're trying to make those those big plays and in big moments. Uh, yeah, for sure. And then the last guy we want to talk about is another New York slash New Jersey quarterback. <laughs> uh, emphasis on the New Jersey part. That's you saw Tommy his DeVito. agent on the field, right? You saw his yeah, agent. Yeah, his, uh, his uh, mafioso agent. Yeah. Uh, Tommy DeVito. Now, he only had 150 yards or 158 yards passing one touchdown, but he was moving on the ground to 10 carries for 71 yards, getting the win over the Green Bay Packers. This was a game I thought the Packers would win pretty easily. I don't know about you, but they yeah. had been surging. They just beat the Chiefs. Uh, I thought that they would build off of this uh, their win last week and come in and get a win. But Jordan Love didn't have the best game, and the Giants were able to take advantage of it. Yeah. No, this was – this was something that's been underneath the radar over the past couple of weeks. The Giants have pulled out a couple of games. They're still a gritty team. Like that's people like dismiss this because they had the rough start. They've had injuries to key positions. Um, but this is a well-coached team with Brian Dable, um, Martindale. You have Mike Kafka from Andy Reid's tree. So you have a lot of ideas flowing through that building. And at the end of the day, they're still a solid team. So it was yeah. very, very cool to see them kind of pull off the upset at home last night. After the uh, the forty nine to seventeen shellacking the Cowboys gave them, they're three and zero. They beat the Commanders thirty one to nineteen. They they barely beat the Patriots, and now they barely beat the Packers. But those are some uh, I don't want to say like uh, like just meaningless wins. Like uh, the the Patriot one, the Patriots was pretty meaningless. But <laughs> beating the Commanders in uh, it's not what in Washington we'll say I, I forget where their stadium is too and then it beating is. the Packers it's, at home th those are meaningful for yeah the DMV area uh uh Andover or it's not Andover it's something in Maryland but regardless back on topic uh getting these wins going into next season where we thought this season was lost right Daniel Jones looked horrible uh there was nothing clicking on offense Saquon was getting stymied by a lot of defenses but putting together some wins here at the end of the year when they can go into next year with all right well if we can't have Daniel Jones uh we have a, a reliable not a reliable like a 
a good choice and a backup where we can fall back to if we don't want to go the quarterback route. Or if we do want to go the quarterback route, maybe we get a Jaden Daniels in the draft or something like that. Or even with this, like, hey, stuff is working on offense. Our defense is clicking with uh, Wink Martindale. Maybe we can draft a good receiver like Malik Neighbors or something like that and get going for next year. These are the kind of wins that inspire confidence, uh, no matter which route you choose to go in the draft in the offseason. Yeah, it's just it's boosting the fact that what Joe Shine and Brian Dable and and what this organization is trying to do on the field is working. And this is this is a project that takes a couple years for a rebuild. And it's it's a little bit different in New York than what's going on in Minnesota. And it's very cool to kind of see those organizations kind of parallel to each other. Uh, both of them have kind of these interesting quarterback situations. They don't have elite quarterbacks. Like that's one of the things that I think if those teams had elite quarterbacks, we'd talk about them in a different different breath, different different tier and it's really cool to see because if like you said Giants draft Jaden Daniels they develop them they have Daniel Jones on the book one more year and all of a sudden okay maybe they have this electric RPO offense with Jaden Daniels and they kind of take over the NFC East and and that would be cool to see I don't know if that's what we'll see but it's it's one of those things that like you said it inspires a lot of hope for the organization for the team for the fans and and that's that's exciting for New York uh yeah for sure and uh, we want to go into our MVP watch here. Uh, it's going to be more of the same, right? It's the same three guys we had last week, I believe. And you, at the top, you wanted, you wanted to put this guy number one, so so go oh, for it. To me, uh, it was mainly a joke. But to me, <laughs> it's still going to be down to Dak and Brock Purdy. Um, right now, the Niners do have the number one seed in the NFC, I believe. Uh, yes, they do. And to me, it's going to come down to can Dak number one keep the hold on his division like win the division outright and uh yeah that's about it i think if they win the division and he gets the one or two seed he has a good chance of winning it because he has the counting stats argument that we talked about last week whereas brock purdy has all the efficiency metrics under his belt and currently the niners are i oh because they beat him earlier in the season they have the tiebreaker so currently they're ahead there if they keep it up he's gonna have a good case too but i do think between those two Dak probably deserves it yeah. Um, so as of like, so betting odds last week when we had this conversation, Purdy was was number one after Dak and the shellacking the Cowboys gave the Eagles on Sunday night football. He's now moved up to that number one conversation. It goes back to the point you said, who's going to end up with the number one seed? Because it seems like if either one of these teams do, that's kind of their legitimacy case. Uh, for MVP. Now, what I will say about Brock Purdy, and because a lot of people will throw out, well, he's he's one of the most efficient quarterbacks we've seen in the modern era. That's absolutely right. We talked about kind of his loaded cast, uh, talked about last week when some of those pieces went down, how that offense started to look average. But a guy that I think is very fitting to compare to, um, and this was back in 2013, it was Nick Foles, within the Eagles offense. And I want to talk about that Eagles offense because they had Deshaun Jackson. They had a prime Brent Selleck. They had Shady McCoy on the offensive line. They had Jason Peters. They had rookie Lane Johnson. They had Jason Kelsey. Like this was a really, really good supporting cast for a quarterback in, I believe it was Chip Kelly's system at the time. And it was one of those things that it, it, it worked. It, it was clicking. His EPA per play through 14 weeks was 0.344. And Purdy's right now is 0.386. And if you look at their average depth of target, how far down the field they're throwing the ball, Nick Foles that year had an A dot of 9.5. And this year, Purdy has one of 8.1. So again, Nick Foles didn't win the MVP that year, and rightfully so. Like He wasn't the best quarterback. He put up some great statistics. He was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league, but that doesn't make you an MVP. If, if Sam Darnold comes in and replaces Brock Purdy, that the 49ers still have a, a legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl. If Dak Prescott goes down, the Cowboys are not going to win the Super Bowl. Like, Cooper Rush can win you a game or two. He's not winning in the postseason. And that's the difference, I think, when you look at those two guys, is how important are they to their team's success in this push for the number one seed? Uh, first of all, don't disrespect Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. All right. He's a legend. He is a legend, a Philly legend in his own right. And 
Uh, also, last year I believe Purdy was one and one in the playoffs. Correct? They beat the Seahawks and then lost to the Eagles. Well, he went he out hurt. in that game yeah. against the Eagles. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, j just the points I made earlier. It's going to come down to quarterback on the number one seed, in my opinion, um, because like we're talking about, Purdy has the efficient efficiency metrics, which dating all the way back to whenever like 2011 or 2010 whenever we want to look at the kind of modern era with the new cb and every cba and everything whoever leads in epa wins the mvp the only exception was cam newton of course and he absolutely deserved it that year um so that that's a factor to consider but then dak is uh leading the league in passing touchdowns i believe uh, i also think he's up there in yards it might be uh cj stroud still but he's up there for sure there he beats uh purdy in both uh, interceptions, like fewer interceptions thrown, more touchdowns thrown, stuff like that. So he has the counting stats to it. Like it's just, it's a narrative award, is what it is, Steve. And it's going to come it down is. to that number one seed because the Niners already beat the Cowboys this year. That's the uh, the kind of the the thing that I think the voters are going to go back to and be like, oh, these really two close QBs, they have the same records, they're tied, but why are the Niners ahead? Oh, the Niners beat them. That's something we got to consider. Even though Dak isn't playing against Purdy. You know, yep. it's just it's a narrative award is what it is. And with that comes stuff like this, like stuff you don't really need to consider, but is going to be considered. It is going to be considered. And I think the only thing that would be interesting in terms of a shift is when you saw Debo and Trent Williams go down during that three game mm -hmm. skid when they lost to Cleveland, they lost to Cincinnati, they lost to Minnesota. They played Dallas or Philly during that stretch. I think we're talking about this in a completely different light because I think at that point, the other team wins and that changes some of this narrative talk. And like you said, when these two quarterbacks go head to head, they aren't playing each other. Uh, Dak was facing Tredavious Ward and that, that 49ers defense, and they had the ability to lock down some stuff. Ward's out right now. And so if they face up again and, and, and the 49ers don't have some of their key pieces, maybe it's a different outcome. And, and that's what we're going to have to see come January. Yeah, I don't think Dak wants to see the Niners in the playoffs after the last two uh, times with that, but uh, that remains to be seen. The third guy we had was a guy, uh, not a quarterback, Tyreek Hill. We talked about him, maybe triple crowning, maybe hitting 2,000, but I think uh, his margin for error in the MVP race, which was already slim, is uh, even slimmer now. Uh, he got tweaked. I don't know uh, what injury he had last night, but he tweaked something, and uh yeah, I, I just don't know if he's going to be on pace for leading the league in all three categories or hitting that 2K mark, which I believe would have put him over the top in some voters' minds. So just an unfortunate situation there. If if he is able to go and he has a couple home run games down the stretch, and I understand we're, we're really at that last four-game pivot point, but he is at his current trajectory going to break 2K but he's got to stay at that current trajectory which is about like 120 yards receiving a game. The receptions number will be interesting because the only guy I think he was behind was Keenan Allen. So if he can jump him now with Justin Herbert out, um, he's he's got the lead in yards and touchdowns. So those, those goals are still there. It's just with a bad Monday night performance, like you said, he's dealing with some sort of injury. Um, that, that That's what has him dropped from the betting markets on our list. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that it would be cool to see him win it, but it's, it's looking more and more unlikely. Yeah. It, and it's super unfortunate, right? Because we talked throughout the season, once we started the MVP watch segment, that this was kind of a weaker race. I do think Dak has kind of stepped into the role of a, like a deserving, uh, quarterback that deserves it. But we thought that this might be a year where we see a wide receiver win it or a running back like Christian McCaffrey win it. But uh, with him fading down the stretch and McCaffrey's touchdown streak broken, I do think it's going to revert back to the quarterback. And I, I'm not saying Dak doesn't deserve it, but it is disappointing not to see maybe better players like Tyreek Hill be considered for it. Yeah, no, and it's 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 one of those years. It's it's a down year for quarterback play. It'd be cool to see a guy get in. That's what we saw with Adrian Peterson back in 2012, uh, which was really cool to see uh, when a couple of these guys have some really, like you said, well-deserving seasons that are historical in their own rights, uh, get the credit that they deserve. Now, uh, this week uh, does not feature an MVP candidate. It actually doesn't feature a lot of Pro Bowl candidates, um, but the Carolina Panthers will host the Atlanta Falcons at Bank of America Stadium. Um, 
I, it, to your point, it, it goes back to our defensive stars playing like stars. I, I have no doubt that Evero will keep this offense somewhat contained. Um, my question is, can we do anything offensively? We, we struggled against the Falcons in week one, and that doesn't seem like it'll change against Ryan Nielsen and that, that group on the, the defensive side. If you remember week one and our very first drive, we actually drove down the field. I believe we got it to the maybe like the 20 or the 15. It was a fourth and one and it was halfback dive and Chuba didn't get it. And then the rest of the game from there went downhill. But that very first drive, we were actually moving the ball quite well. And I wonder if we can do something similar this week. Uh, you talk about Evero holding their offense back this week. Ritter had kind of a decent game uh, last week. He, he did have a couple the misses. Bucks defense. Right, but what did we do against the Bucks defense, you know? Like, we put up uh, 18 points, which is pretty solid considering we're averaging, right, I think, about 12 points a game. That, all right, you're right there. But uh, <laughs> their, their offense, like Ritter, he threw that one to Kyle Pitts, the wide-open bomb. He ran one in on his, uh, yeah, on his own. Bijan ran one in. Uh, Young Waku continued his kicking streak. So, it, like, they didn't have a horrible game last weekend. We are deeper into the season than that week one game. So I do think both teams should be a little better. But like you said, my keys for this game are all three defensive stars have to lock in. Not just J.C. Horn, not just Derek Brown, not just Brian Burns. All three of them have to make a difference alongside guys like Luvu and Dante Jackson, who coming off his injury, Dante Jackson has actually been playing very, very well. This past week, he didn't allow a single catch. I believe it was on six targets. So he's he's locked in uh, on his side of the field, but we need that. And then on the offensive side of the ball, we talked about all three phases, offensive line, quarterback, receiver. None of them were ever on the same page. Just all three of them, please lock in for even the routine plays, like the ones where Bryce puts it on the guys, like right on his hands. All you have to do is catch it. Like we don't need – 50 yards of yak or something like that, because we know our receivers can't get that. So when he puts it on the money, we have to catch it. Bryce, when Mingo's running wide open, you have to hit him for that touchdown. And then the O-line, they just, they have to hold up like an NFL O-line. And I don't know if that's going to be the case, but we're going to need that for some plays, because like you said, this Falcons defense with Ryan Nielsen coming from the Saints, they have some of those Saints influences on their D-line. And uh, they're going to do some stunts and stuff to try to mess with us. So hopefully they can lock in. You, you just hope is that like James Campen can get in the ear of some of these guys, even with kind of the backup interior that we're dealing with at the moment. And it's just like Chuba has had honestly back-to-back -back games that have been fairly solid. Like he's almost had 200 total like rushing yards between the Tampa Bay, New Orleans game. If we can get him active in the run game, we can get some bootlegs off of that. Like you said, Mingo and uh, Bryce get on the same page. Chark isn't dropping stuff. that's hitting him in the face mask. Thielen's doing his part like he has done all year. It's when when you get all those together and you eliminate mistakes, which Bryce did a better job of that in New Orleans. It was just kind of the supporting cast and stuff that happened around him. Um, we have a shot and we'll have a shot because Desmond Ritter is a, a guy that we held under 200 passing yards uh, the first game. And that's something that Evero did to Kirk Cousins and a couple other quarterbacks, especially at Bank of America. So I expect the passing game for the Falcons to be uh, eliminated or erased for the most part. It's B. John Robinson that has my kind, kind of concern. But with YGM back, with Derek Brown in there, with Shai Tuttle there, you hope that the, the run game uh, will be mitigated from there and Burns doesn't get himself ejected to where um they're just running like wide receiver reverses because we can't set the edge so i uh, it's it's stuff like that where it's just don't make the mental errors and i think if if we do that we do our job there's there's a shot it's not a good shot but it's there's a shot we could win yeah for sure i think there's been a shot every week and we've just not taken advantage of it but we do need to win a division game at least one uh going into next year and i think we've got one this week where we can win it but uh, moving forward, talking about next year, there was only one college game this week. It was Army-Navy. I didn't watch that one, uh, full disclosure, because I didn't want to see, I think it was 17 to 11. Or I think maybe the over 17 hit to 13. The over hit because the very last play was a safety. Um, I don't know but why they took a safety. But yeah, the, the over did hit. I think the, like the last 12 years or 13 years, it was 12 unders and one over. Now we get another over. But uh, you asked, or I asked you, coming into this week, what position did you want to focus on for 
the Panthers draft at 33 because that's our highest pick currently. We have a lot of work to do. And I know a lot of fans want us to go wide receiver, rightfully so, because our receiving core is just atrocious. But you said offensive tackles, and I think that's interesting because our offensive tackle play has been down this year. Uh, we, we've talked about Iki Aquanu at length. Uh, he's just not playing at the level he was drafted at. Taylor Moten has been solid, but these past couple of games, there have been plays where he's starting to wane, where all, all four other guys are being beaten, and so he's being left on an island. And eventually he's going to wear down and let somebody by. And that happened a couple times this game. So you asked me to do offensive tackles this week. And I think this is a very good offensive tackle class up front. Uh, I think there's four for sure first round locks. So I'm not going to talk about them. Those are Olu Fashanu and uh, Joe Watt from Michigan and uh, um, Joe Watt, Notre Dame. And then JC Latham, Alabama, right tackle and Talize Fuoga from uh Oregon State. Both of those guys are right tackles, but I do think they'll be first round locks. So I don't want to talk about those guys. Although so if any of them who, fell, who I would be I would love for them to uh be Panthers, but they're just not gonna fall. Obviously those guys aren't gonna fall, but I, I remember a couple years ago when we were having the should it be Icky, should it be Evan Neal? Um and and you had in your grading that Charles Cross was probably the best, best pass protector. And I think when mm-hmm. when we're trying to get Bryce Young to drop back more, uh, for him to follow kind of that Drew Brees arc where the ball does come out of his hands quickly, but he's got a solid O line. Who do you think is going to be there, kind of in the second round at pick thirty three, uh, that that offers the most upside in that department? Well, I, I do think there's going to be a couple guys there that I'll talk about, but a lot of them have inside out versatility. Like uh, the guy here at the bottom, Graham Barton, he was Duke's left tackle, but I think he'll be an interior guy at the next level. I know Dane Brugler from The Athletic has also uh, echoed that statement or that sentiment. He thinks he'll play center, actually, which is kind of bizarre going from left tackle to center. But the guy I want to focus on mainly for our, our pick at 33 is Jordan Morgan. He was the left tackle at Arizona this year. And Arizona under the radar had a very, very good season. They were nine and three. They competed against a lot of teams. They lost to USC in overtime. That was one of their three losses. And they beat a lot of good Pac-12 teams. The Pac-12 was pretty good this year. But uh, Morgan, back to his point, he's a guy that uh, reminds me a lot of Charles Cross. He's uh, very intelligent and patient. He kind of, if I go back to my Charles Cross notes, Cross would kind of mirror what the defensive lineman was trying to do, like the path he was trying to take, trying to take and stay with it and stay in front of him. That's what Jordan Morgan does. He uh, He's a good uh, striker with his arms, you know, doesn't do both at once, doesn't offset him or anything puts one where it needs to go, puts the other on the shoulder. He has strong arms. He doesn't let go once he has the guy. And he's a really good uh, puller and mover in the run game, which is something that I think our offense needs to use more because we were a confident power run team last year. We've harped on it every week during our Panthers uh, like doom scrolling session where we talk about how we're not doing power runs. He was, uh, he was able to run the ball well, and he's able to handle speed rushing well, which is the bane of Icky's existence. Those quick guys, when they do the chop, just get right around him. Jordan Morgan's able to adapt to that pretty well. And so this is a guy that I would like highly consider at pick 33 should he fall. Because you see, other than those four guys, I have six guys listed here. Offensive tackle is a position that gets pushed up in the draft, right? Where yeah. if you're picking like, let's say, 20 through 32, you may not have a first round grade on the guy because you only have 15 to 20 first round grades. But if you need a tackle, that's a position that's going to get pushed up, kind of like edge rusher. We see, we saw last year a lot of edge rushers get snuck in at the end of the first round. Tackle is like that too. And uh, hopefully Jordan Morgan's a guy that can fall to 33 because that's a guy I would love to have. My only main knock against uh, Morgan is that he doesn't possess great speed to get to the second level, like in run blocking. But that's something you can work around with tight ends and stuff like that. So he, to me, uh, sitting at 33, he would be the home run pick uh, for the Panthers, in my opinion. I, I think if we go Jordan Morgan, and I'm not saying he's he's a similar player to the two guys I want to mention, but you had Tyler Smith, who was a late first round pick for the Cowboys mm-hmm. a couple of years, and he's been a versatile player between a guard and a tackle position. Uh, you had, and I believe the same draft that Icky and Neil and Charles Cross went, you had Bernard Raymond going to the Colts in the third round. And yes. he's been a solid left tackle. And it's one of those things that 
even though these aren't like the top four guys that you think are going to go off the board, they get a guy of his value and then maybe have the ability to move Icky in the guard because I think Icky would be better as a guard. Um, would give us more depth on the offensive line. Um, it would give us a better left tackle. And it's one of those things that it, it would hopefully make everybody else around you better. Now, it does uh, have a concern on the wide receiver side. We aren't adding playmakers. But like you said, this is a deep wide receiver class. Uh, we saw a lot of wide receivers go in the third and fourth round uh, that have been productive this year. So uh, we can get those guys, bring in a veteran, kind of boost the room that way. Uh, this offense can turn around. We've we've seen this before. Uh, we were two and fourteen after two thousand ten. We added a couple necessary pieces. Yes, Cam was one of them, um, but we turned around and we were top ten offense. So it's 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 definitely doable to turn this around. It's just going to have to be done the right way. And I think Jordan Morgan is a great way to start. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I don't think left tackle is the only spot we need. It's pretty clear the interior is a problem as well. And that's a guy like Graham Barton that I mentioned was Duke's left tackle. He's played at a bunch of positions throughout his career. He's a guy that I have currently, uh, like if he were to go as an interior guy, he'd be late first round. And we need help at both guard spots. So that's a guy that I would consider there at 33 as well. And I do think he can play tackle in the league, but I think he would be an excellent guard at the next level. Yeah. Um, and with that, we are going to dive into our perfect takes. And... What I, what I want to discuss, and it was something I had talked about in the coaching post I posted on Twitter this morning, but the top two teams right now from a coaching standpoint are the Baltimore Ravens and Dallas Cowboys. And they play, um, the, the Baltimore Ravens will go to Jacksonville this week and Dallas will go to Buffalo. I think both will, um, I haven't seen the lines, so this is a little risky for me to say it, but I think both of them will cover. Um, I think they're they're going to have statement wins here against teams that are a little bit banged up um, and have flaws. And I just to me, I don't see those flaws with the Cowboys and Ravens. I see them as complete teams in the NFL. And you're you're trying to make a case for for being a number one, number two seed in your respective conference. This is the way you do it. I think that's a good uh, a good point that you have there. I, I do like the coaching staff for both sides. I'm a big fan of Mike McDonald, like we talked about in the head coaching segment. I think Dan Quinn is really good. And then McCarthy is playing or calling excellent scripts, and Todd Munkin's really shining as well. Uh, I believe your play caller ranking had Munkin rising quite a bit this past week. He was um, number yeah. one this week, which, I mean, yeah, the offense yeah. has been clicking recently. Again, it's the biggest thing I bring up is that there's an issue with turnovers, and that can bite you in the butt in some of these closer games, especially as we go towards the playoffs. Couldn't agree more. Uh, my perfect take is going to be one that's a bit more out there. We talked about uh, the backup QBs today, you know, Jake Browning, Joe Flacco, Zach Wilson, all having good games. And then the last one we talked about, Tommy DeVito, if you, if you look, the Giants have won three in a row, and we talked about that ever since Dallas beat them. And I think they're going to win again in the Dome in New Orleans. I think the Giants are going to continue their winning streak. And I okay. think DeVito, I, I don't know if he's going to ball out per se, but he's going to do what he needs to do, have a mistake-free game, and get them the win. I, I like that because Derek Carr is such a diva. Like, I yes. just... I, I remember seeing a, a post this past week, and obviously it was right before the Mahomes meltdown. <laughs> but it was something like Derek Carr, uh, so much as somebody looks at him the wrong way in terms of uh, the play that happened, and he's yelling at him. And it's like, dude, like throw a better ball. Be on time. Be more aggressive. And then Patrick Mahomes, he sees Kadarius Tony line up offsides or drop a pass, and he's clapping his hands, and it's, ah, next play. And obviously he has his issue with the refs at the end with how, how the officiating was done. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that it's very interesting to compare a guy who's won a couple MVPs to a guy who's been kind of on the cusp of it. And it's, it's some of those leadership qualities that I think he lacks. He has the ability to make some of the throws in this offense. He has the ability to get the ball to some of these playmakers, but they aren't on the same page as he is. And that's why there's a disconnect in new Orleans. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. Tommy DeVito has the opportunity to go in and play upset uh, down in uh, new Orleans. Yeah. You see uh, all the clips of the receivers kind of just yelling at Derek Carr on the field and stuff like that. It was pretty similar to the stuff with Russ last year and the teammates there in uh, Denver when they were uh, 
And but that was more the defensive guy. Yeah, I was about uh, to say those were defensive yeah. players yelling at him. But his own center was yelling at him this past week. Yeah, like, dude. While, while they were winning, on? yeah. And you see, uh, like all the receivers just not really mess with him on social media and stuff. It's uh, it's very interesting his kind of uh, persona as it's viewed by his teammates opposed to how the media views it because the media kind of sees him as a guy that's uh really emotional and passionate about the game and wants to win and stuff like that you know there's like clips of him uh like shedding tears and pressers and stuff like that but it seems like his teammates just don't really mess with him and it's interesting that uh that dichotomy is interesting i'm sure it was different with the raiders he got drafted there um there was a love and affinity between the organization the players and him um, I think when you go to a new spot and, and you're just assuming that that respect is given, not earned, I think that was the disconnect. Because I'm sure uh, some of his teammates in uh, Las Vegas, Oakland, depending on where they were at the time, uh, would, would go to go to war for him. And I just I don't see that in New Orleans. And I think it's just it's a matter of the chemistry just not being right. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we we got to about the hour mark, just a little bit over. So that's impressive for us. Hopefully we'll keep it about that range over the next few weeks as the season wraps up. If you guys have any questions, shoot them to us at Perfect Takes. Otherwise, we'll catch you next week.